You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Yes, sir, people, the time of the evening where you all join us on Legal Talk. And Alhamdulillah, this evening on Legal Talk, we are joined by Advocate Muhammad Umar. Muhammad, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And tell me, how are you doing this beautiful evening? No, absolutely. Well said. I was watching the moon and, uh, you know, the sun and the moon adore the, uh, you know, if you look at uh, the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, really, I do a lot of uh, reflection and Allah says in the Noble Quran, look, uh, you know, around you and look within yourself and you'll see my signs. And I know someone that uh, really loves uh, nature and uh, you are one of them, uh, Advocate Saab. Well, we, we all enjoy a little bit of, let's say, South Africa. I mean, we're in a beautiful country. There's lots of natural beauty and uh, we're in a very uh, beautiful part of the world, ge- geography-wise. So make the best of it. Especially with summer coming up. Alhamdulillah, summer times are near, and Alhamdulillah, you know, are you someone that loves the ocean? Uh, uh, do you go maybe uh, kayaking or diving in the ocean and enjoying the beauty uh, and the reef? It's it, 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 it strange that you've asked me this question because last week, thanks to my cousin Dawood, he got me involved in the whale trail, which was about 55 kilometers over four days. And I, I must put a disclaimer, I took a small shortcut here and there, but you could count distance-wise about 55 kilometers. And this was near the Swellendam area and a different part of the world. But uh, just the physical activity was more than enough for me. So I didn't have much time to look at the scenery, but it was beautiful and it was an exciting challenge. Alhamdulillah, something that, that you know, once we on this uh, planet Earth, enjoy its beauty and reflect on it, and get extra ibadat by glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in whatever we do. And, you know, Advocate Muhammad Umar, when you look around us, we see many things are happening in this world, and especially in the world of uh, the legal world that you are involved in. Uh, I've noticed that uh, here in South Africa, uh, you know, it seems as if court cases are going out of fashion. Everyone is in court, you know, from uh, the um, Zondo Commission, and you find uh, the guys from... uh, uh, the electricity department, uh, and then you find uh, Julius Malema making a lot of appearances in court. And, uh, you know, it just goes on and on. It seems as if uh, the uh, legal uh, field or the uh, the advocates and the attorneys are having a, a wonderful time, making a lot of money. Am I uh, overreacting? Well, I think it is, uh, it's, it's, it's a... Uh... It's a normal reaction and, and sad to say, but when it comes to litigation, there's a lot of egos involved. And I think sometimes it's more a battle of egos than what's right, what's wrong and what's sensible. Because nine out of ten times, if you look at a legal issue, it's sometimes it's better to walk away or bite the bullet and move on. But uh, not everybody thinks that way. You see, Mohammed, the sad part is that all these court cases are taking place but my gripe is, you know, who's paying for it? It's the taxpayer's money. And, you know, millions are just getting, going down the drain in uh, hot air. I don't know. 
question to ask yourself is if you didn't have the litigation, what would people do then? Hire mafias? Break a few bones? So maybe this is a better option. All right. You. Are you playing devil's advocate with me this evening, Mohammed? <laughs> yeah. well, you tend to put me in some tough corners. <laughs> you don't want to do the rope dope with me like, you know, Muhammad Ali and George Foreman. <laughs> well, I'm not Muhammad Ali the boxer. You know? <laughs> yeah, I simply, we, we got a lovely respect. We have a lot of uh, love for each other. I know for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Muhammad, uh, moving Absolutely. on. Absolutely. You know, moving on and uh, being realistic, you know, the, the, the people in this country are talking. Just the other day, I was watching a footage uh, in an area very near us, uh, you know, and there was the security guard and uh, the co community were complaining about service delivery and so forth. And this guard took out his uh, gun and he pointed at the residents uh, of, of uh, you know, and uh, did he have a right to do that? Because, you know, they were just shouting and screaming because it's, uh, it was being filmed. So I think that's why they didn't react. But this uh, gentleman who, you know, who happened to be an African gentleman uh, was really, it was like Indians uh, versus an, uh, one security guard of, uh, you know, of color. So what reaction, what, uh, you know, how do we react to this? Because we find that in this country, uh, the tables have turned. If it was uh, maybe a white or an Indian or maybe a colored that pulled out a gun and did that, he would have been in jail immediately. Talk to me about that. Look, firstly, a, a person can only pull out a firearm in a threatening manner if their life is in danger. That's 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 the reason for a firearm. You know, self-defense. Not not as a unless unless you're a police officer, uh, where you are acting on orders. But uh, in, in that instance, uh, his reaction was probably uncalled for. You know, it's, and in, in, in a crowd situation, it's always very difficult to, to see what's happening and, you know, what occurs. And, uh, uh, you know, it's be, being in the crowd uh, and, and also the level of training of the police officer. And, and sometimes you've got one or two simple questions to ask yourself is, was this was this police was the security officer uh, even authorized to possess a firearm? Oh, you know, so there's there's a host of questions involved. So in other uh, when it comes when it comes to security issues, you've got to be very careful because uh, you know what 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 might be self defense for another it's a different situation for somebody else. But at the end of the day. Those people that were protesting should lay a complaint and maybe open a charge. That's my advice. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, sometimes, you know, people say it's a futility. And uh, many things have been happening around us. And uh, the tragedy is uh, that, that uh, we find that in our people that are holding position of power, you know, we're talking about counselors, some of them uh, cannot uh, read and write and some of them, uh, uh, you know, a basic thing like they don't even know how to sign their names. But how did they get into these uh, these positions? And uh, legally, legally, uh, do the people have any recourse to this? I mean, uh, uh, the public, do we have any say in this? I mean, who's voting you know, people like this into power, uh, Muhammad? You know, my, my, my question is, uh, uh, stating a person is, is not necessarily a barrier to 
to education. We, we've had grandfathers who were so-called illiterate in the real world, but numerically they were very smart business people. You know, it, it's just that it's what common sense and what experience you have in life. Uh, it's just that uh, when it comes to counselors and politicians, you are dealing with a, a large number, uh, let's say, large number of people and large amounts of money. So maybe some form of literacy is important. But uh, I think, uh, you know, even if we look at the most literate of people, uh, you know, you, you'll still find instances of incompetence. You'll still find instances of maladministration. So, you know, the, the, it, it, it's what standards you set and what criteria you follow. Okay, you really look at that. Uh, but, uh, you know, as a counsellor, I mean, uh, you've been in politics and uh, you know quite a bit of it. A lot of... Uh, I wouldn't say I've been in politics, but I follow politics. Okay, you're a very humble guy. I don't know, tell them how close to the president you are. But anyway, uh, you know, when we move on, <laughs> when we look at, uh, uh, you know, what's going on, especially, you know, when you're sitting in council, you get papers upon papers, you get uh, memos upon memos to read. And, uh, I mean, you have to read it to know what's going on. Also, you must understand, when you're in politics, chances are you're in a political party and there's a leadership that's involved. And uh, yes, there's lots of paper, there's lots of issues, there's lots of committees, but at the same time, you have a team with you. Uh, very few political decisions are made by just one person or a guy sitting in his office and saying, okay, I'll do this, I'll do that. There's usually a process and a procedure. So... Uh, it, it, it's not just a case of one person deciding, okay, we'll build a bridge tomorrow morning and let's go and build it. Then, Muhammad, there was a perception that, you know, to be in politics, you had to be a barrister, a lawyer, you know, someone that knew the laws inside out. And, you know, this was generally, if you looked at world politics and some of the top politicians, most of them were lawyers, isn't it? And uh, they, 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 they went through the legalities and all that. But today it seems like anyone, I mean, uh, this old saying like any Tom, Dick and Harry, I don't know, maybe it's a, an African thing or maybe it's a South African thing. I don't know is uh, what's happening. Anyone can come in there uh, as, as, as long as, you know, he's popular with the people. Your thoughts? You know, I'll tell you here, I'll give you a bit of sweet humor. To be a politician, you know, you get the famous KFC meal called Streetwise. <laughs> and I think that's basically what you've got to be in life. Mm. If, if you really want to want to pro, uh, proceed, whether it's politics or whether it's uh, some other vocation, literally, especially politics, you've got to be street smart, streetwise, and you've got to be a bit of a, bit of a smooth person, you know, if you really want to get to the top. That's, that's the bottom line with politics and being a politician. And then it's one thing to get on top, it's another thing to stay on top. Because that too becomes a challenge on its own. So it, it takes it takes a lot to be, to be and to stay in politics. You know, I was uh, thinking aloud the other day, you know, uh, yesterday we had some top barristers, you know, in the Muslim community. I'm thinking about av uh, advocate Ayam Bawa. There was, uh, you know, the advocate Muhammad, like your name there. And we also absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. A, a genius indeed. And, you know, all these, uh, you know, has the uh, judiciary system in this country been compromised or has it uh, 
you know, is it not li- living up to expectations like uh, the, uh, you know, gentlemen that, that we had before? And is our judiciary compromised? Uh, what's your thoughts on the Zondo Commission? What's your thoughts on uh, Sul Ramaphosa as a president uh, presently? And uh, you look at Tabo Beki uh, telling him, no, he's, he's not worth it for a second term. What are your thoughts, uh, Muhammad? You know, it's, look, if, if we're trying to compare the pre-1994 era, if you look at the background of judges, they were they were trained more in commercial cases and, uh, you know, uh, dealing more with uh, with uh, litigants that were, let's say, better resourced. Whereas post-94, a lot of the judges come from the human rights background and fraternity. So, so let's say there's been a shift you know, more towards a human rights approach rather than a business approach. But uh, all, all said and done, uh, I, I still think that the judiciary is still strong, it's still powerful, and in as much as, as Judge Squire said, the wheels of justice turn very, very slowly, but they still do turn. And I think we've, we've seen that, it, it, you know, in many instances, in fact, just a few hours ago, I was listening on, uh, uh, on a radio station that the... Uh, former direct uh, treasury, uh, uh, one of the senior uh, KZN government officials was given a 15-year jail sentence, uh, you know, for some maladministration. So that, that speaks volumes. But uh, it's happened and the guy's, the guy's got to serve 15 years. All right, he won't be in for 15 years, but end of the day, he's, he's been given a guilty sentence and yes, you got to go sit in jail. So uh, it's, it's all not doom and gloom. No, absolutely. If you say it's uh, not a doom and gloom, uh, you know, perhaps they say Cyril is making a start somewhere. And uh, many are of the opinion that, uh, you know, besides uh, him uh, going after many people, uh, soon maybe he'll be in orange overalls. So your thoughts? Well, uh, you know, as far as, as far as President Ramaphosa is concerned, his hands are, are, are tied in many ways, literally. End of the day, you need your political party to keep you in power. And he's got numerous struggles. Uh, there's certain provinces that might not back him for the second term. And uh, like you said about President Mbeki, uh, who voiced his uh, displeasure, but the question is, as far as Mbeki is concerned, you'd want to ask him, so what, uh, what was so great about his presidency? Because literally it was when he was president that the light started getting switched off. You know, so uh, it's, it's a bit rich for him to talk about uh, President Ramaphosa. And uh, literally Ramaphosa inherited a huge mess. And uh, to undo this mess, especially when you've got people appointed that are not really cooperative, uh, it's going to take a lot and it's going to take a certain amount of time, but it will happen. As you say, it will happen. And, you know, we look at uh, the constitution uh, of this country. It was, uh, you know, the brainchild was a Muslim. And have we conscientized uh, the nation about the, you know, how the role that the Muslims have played in the politics of uh, South Africa? It seems as if, uh, you know, the younger generation or the masses do not know the role that Muslims played. And how could we go about conscientizing them, Muhammad? You know, uh, look, one is conscientizing, the other is, 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 you know, be a good citizen and and do your best. 
I think that that would that would create a far more impact uh, than uh, going going and uh, you know uh, giving people history lessons. Uh, history is there; nobody can take that away. Nobody can change that. But uh, I think if you look forward, uh, you, you you've got to be a, a South African who's very uh, who's very positive about the country and uh, who sees South Africa as a great place and also as as a place of opportunity to to enhance both yourself and other people along the way as well. That's that I think would be one of the greatest lessons and examples. You know, Advocate Mohammed, when you look at the. Uh you know, Amadi that used to say this uh, so beautifully. He, should, he always tell me, say, "Beta, do not be so sweet that they will swallow you. Do not be so bitter that they will spit you out. Just be in between." So uh, you know what we look at uh, people around very us. Good, very good advice, and I think something that uh, I wouldn't forget now that you've mentioned this. You know, uh, there's a point I'm making here that we as Muslims are perceived as a very easy target, you know, for charity or for when they need something done. Uh, you know, the people come, oh, yeah, we need y'all, we need, you know, y'all are very generous, you're very magnanimous. Uh, perhaps we've been taken for granted. What's your thoughts? You know, uh, as, as I discussed earlier, that, uh, you know, when it comes to charity and that, helping individual people that are having difficulty find but if ever you come and tell me that uh, a specific race group has a problem, I, I have an issue with that. If you tell me person A uh, needs help for X, Y, Z reasons, fine, I can live with that. But if you tell me, oh, we got to help this this particular race group uh, for reasons X, Y, Z, I, I have issues with that. And and being being a soft target, look, unfortunately, if you are generous and, and generosity is part of your nature, it, it will be pretty obvious that uh, people will take advantage. And uh, as an individual, you've got to draw a line somewhere. And you've got to know, you know, uh, at, at which point you cannot be of assistance any further. But uh, sometimes it's better to err on the side of caution. I think that's a good point indeed. Err uh, on the side of caution and be cautious and, and alhamdulillah to be generous and uh, have a generosity of spirit. That uh, uh, that comes uh, through, you know, our upbringing in the house of Islam, and may Allah always keep us on the straight and, and narrow. Now, moving on, uh, Advocate uh, Muhammad uh, Umar, you know, when you look around uh, the world today, you look at uh, things are happening, and uh, many are talking about uh, the role model that uh, you know Singapore was. You, uh, you 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 sent me a clip on it, and it was a, a you know a, a fifty or fifty five or fifty six minutes clip. I enjoyed every word that I listened to it. And I, perhaps, you know, uh, you could give us a, a, a summary of uh, that a lecture that took place about the gentleman talking about, uh, you know, how politics work and how uh, uh, Singapore as a role model, as a country, how it worked and why it was successful. Uh, uh, perhaps you could elaborate on that, uh, Advocate Mohammed. You know, uh, as far as Singapore is concerned, credit would go largely to one particular person, and that was the so-called founder, uh, you know, former Prime Minister Lee Kuan Yew, uh, who, let's say, set the benchmark and set the standards. And, uh, you know, his, his attitude was, uh, uh, you know, I would, I would describe it as a no-nonsense strict headmaster 
who knew he he inherited a mess. Uh, his country had no uh, no natural resources or uh, what can we say? No no fallback position. And guys probably gave him six to twelve months and said, "No, this guy will collapse." And uh, uh, you know he he took the ball and ran with it. But basically, it was a, a, a no a no corruption. Uh, transparent, merit-based society, and that—that's how it worked, and and that's how it probably is today, by and large. And and if you speak to people from Singapore, both uh, people that are Chinese and Malaysians, they will have nothing but praise to speak of their political leadership that that's been running the country. And and literally, Singapore is is nothing more than a a trading house where goods just simply pass through. They don't produce anything. They don't make anything. And all they do is they just like a, uh, you know, a transit point. Hmm. So, uh, for, for a tiny little place, uh, you know, they had to set high standards and they've delivered well. More like brokers, eh? They're doing the wheeling and well, dealing. If, if you look at it, that's why Singapore has one of the largest, uh, it's considered one of the busiest ports in the world. And, and, and because of their neighbors, that's, uh, you're talking of Malaysia, Indonesia, uh, you know, the, the, the interesting story with uh, Singapore as well is they have formed a very, very close relations with uh, Brunei. And uh, literally, I'm told that the, your Singapore currency and the Brunei currency are, are the same, one, one and one. You can swap banknotes in both countries, no issues. So... Uh, you know, there's there's been there's been a lot uh, in between, and uh, end of the day, uh, you know, Lee Kuan Yew's philosophy was: if he makes a decision, it has to be correct, not politically correct. And that's where the world falls short. When you try to do things that are politically correct, you will always end up paying a heavy price. Now, Mohammed, you talk about uh, Indonesia, you talk about Malaysia, you talk about the Sultan of Brunei. I mean, that guy, he's, he's rated in the top three, I think, of uh, being the richest man in the world. And, uh, you know, these are basically talking about two, uh, all uh, three Muslim countries, uh, uh, Brunei and uh, you're talking about uh, Malaysia and Indonesia. And Indonesia also uh, a very powerful economy indeed. So, in, uh, you know, so there is a healthy working relationship between these countries. And if you look at Indonesia also, as a um, trading block is it, it, quite a powerful country when it comes to you know I, I remember when i was at school they you talk about rubber and tires and so forth that indonesia was uh, well known for uh, uh, uh muhammad uh, just to give you an idea the population of indonesia is somewhere between 200 and 250 million wow which is something like that of america and indonesia is the world's largest muslim country in terms of numbers and, and when you talk of Indonesia, if you tell people about Jakarta, nobody knows about it. But if you tell people Bali, then everybody's been to Indonesia. Because Bali is part of Indonesia, one of the many islands. And uh, Indonesia is basically a, a host of a number of little islands together. I would say little islands, but think of it as islands. And that, that's what comprises Indonesia. Very well endowed with natural resources. And also, it has a huge population that serves as a huge market. 
In fact, uh, about two or three weeks ago, I would say less than two weeks, I was invited to a meeting where you had the delegation from the ASEAN region. That's your Singapore, Vietnam, uh, Indonesia, where they, they, their trade representatives from the cons consulates were here trying to do business. And interestingly, one of the biggest issues that, or one of the biggest opportunities they are looking at, that's Malaysia and Indonesia, is halal products. Sourcing halal products and halal meat from South Africa. And, and this, this is a massive market that, you know, South Africans should look at. Yeah, you're giving us... the halal industry, given the fact that our halal standards in South Africa are considered to be very, very good. Hmm. And as you say, the population is a massive population of, uh, what do you say, 240 million, 250 million? Well, let's say Indonesia, I'll, I'll put a number at 200. Let's say you're talking, the, 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 you know, Indonesia, Malaysia, Brunei, and a, and a few other little places, a population of, of 200, 250 million, and, and a large number are Muslims. And there's an affinity between the Cape Malays and Indonesia and Malaysia, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, there was no Malaysia. It was actually Indonesia. And if you see the place names, uh, it, it's got to do a lot with uh, Indonesia rather than Malaysia. And In fact, uh, you know, I always joke with uh, South Africans, and, and I was even, uh, you know, mentioning this to the Indonesians. If we take the word Pisa and we take the word Lakyang, you know, if, if I ask you what's a pisang, you'll tell me it's Afrikaans for banana. And if I tell you what's blatyang, you'll say it's, it's the Afrikaans word for chutney. But do you know those are Malay words and not Dutch words? Absolutely. Even the, the Afrikaans, you know, are the, uh, the Malays we're talking about because the Arabic and the mixture of that, they brought it into Afrikaans. Are apples, potatoes yes. and all that. Alhamdulillah. Uh, Alhamdulillah. Hey, I know what's your favorite chutney now. Blatyang. Mrs. Ball's chutney, hey? Black young. Black young. Well, that's a Malay word. Well, you're sharp there. You're really making us, uh, you know, giving us beautiful information uh, this evening, uh, Advocate uh, Muhammad Umar. Uh, moving on. and uh, Okay, let's talk about the Sultan of Brunei. What makes him so rich? I mean, what has he got that he has 10 Rolls Royces and 40 Porsches and uh, 25 uh, private jets? You know, you know it, it, it's interesting because when... Uh, Prime Minister Lee Kuan Yew was the head of Singapore, and uh, he had formed close relations with the then Sultan of Brunei, which the name I me memorized was Haji Ali Umar, uh, what, what, Haji Umar Ali Saifuddin, right? Uh, you know, both of them were contemporaries in the era, and it was then that uh, the Sultan told uh, his children that you people must be close with Singapore. And uh, basically, it's all about oil. Uh, you know, that, that's what Brunei is all about. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's a very small country, very small population. Uh, in fact, I was told once that the, the Sultan of Brunei has farms in Australia that are larger than his country. Unreal. Unreal. Exactly. Hmm. Alhamdulillah, you know, Jazakallah khair for sharing uh, that uh, information with us. And it uh, really makes a lot of sense. And uh, when you uh, really, you know, and uh, Malaysia, Malaysia has always uh, been, uh, you know, the leadership, uh, uh, you know, Muhammad Mahathir was always a philosopher. You know, he used to talk um, 
against uh, all the oppression in the world. And he was, I, I think, uh, perhaps the only Malaysian leader that uh, took on Israel head on. And you remember he said many things uh, that really uh, put them on the back foot. Uh, perhaps uh, in their leadership, uh, they do have a lot of political uh, upheavals and a lot of problems. Your thoughts, uh, Mohammed? Uh, in fact, Malaysia as well has been uh, has gone through a similar chapter like South Africa, where the prime minister, uh, the current prime minister, was uh, sentenced to jail. Uh, what's it, uh, Najib? I think Najib Razak or so. Uh, I think uh, the court just upheld his criminal sentence and he was sent to jail. And technically, I think he's serving his time in a Malaysian jail. Uh, but uh, I think if we go back in history, uh, Mahathir was really a, a legend of his time and, a, and, a, and an absolute genius. Uh, those of you that were privileged enough to, to go to Malaysia uh, saw the Petronas Twin Towers, uh, saw the uh, city of Putrajaya, which was is absolutely world class to have built a capital city from scratch, and I think the time frame was like in about two or three years, where in three years time from the time the first bulldozer moved in to uh, when President Mahathir was sitting in the prime minister's office, and this involved a lot of you know earthworks and so on. So uh, you know uh, I think his political leadership was brilliant. Not to say he didn't have his failures. Uh, if you remember, he tried a, a, a car called Proton, which was even available in South Africa. Uh, so, you know, he tried various industries and various efforts. Uh, some succeeded, some didn't. But uh, really, the legacy he left behind uh, and created was phenomenal that Malaysia is benefiting today. And, and the interesting thing is, by and large, they kept... The, uh, the foreign multinationals out and they created their own uh, empire or business called Petronas, which owns Engine in South Africa, a major, um, you know, is a major shareholder of Engine. Yeah, you talk about uh, Malaysia, you talk about uh, you know, uh, Brunei, and you talk about. Uh, There's nothing but praise for Alhamdulillah, uh, absolutely. No, no, I, I, yeah, we just, uh, we had a slight hitch there, but uh, you're back, alhamdulillah. As you said, a lot of uh, respect uh, for Mohammed Mahathir. Uh, do you know the late Sheikh Ahmed Didat? I met him, and he had a lot of time for Sheikh Ahmed Didat, uh, Rahimullah, uh, Mohammed Mahathir. Uh, were you aware of that, uh, Mohammed? No, not, not really. I, I wouldn't be surprised, but uh, I, I'm not aware of that. Yeah, even uh, Ahmed Didat had met uh, Ziaul Haq. And you know they had a lot of a uh, lovely conversation. I, I, you know, I was privileged, and Allah blessed me to have been working as his editor, and uh, you know, even travelled with him, uh, slept with him in the same uh, hotel room, saw him with his uh, braces and so forth. But Alhamdulillah, did you ever have supper with D that, uh, Muhammad? Uh, let's put it this way: when he was sick, I was a regular visitor, and there were times when I interacted with him at his office. He had an open door policy, and I walk in and spoke to him, a, you know, for a few minutes, and also gained a lot of advice. Uh, I wouldn't say advice, but he gave me, you know, spoke to me about a few things in general, and uh, those those moments were really precious. And I think it was more when he was sick that I spent time with him and his family. Alhamdulillah, and I know the uh, relationship yeah. that you and Yusuf had. I know about that because, uh, yeah, he's. That, and, and, his wife as well. I mean, yeah. uh, whenever you went into a house, the hospitality was, was phenomenal. 
Uh, absolutely brilliant indeed and uh, you know, no, so uh, immediately got biscuits cold drink that, that's what it was no, alhamdulillah Allah filled the cover with noor and it's hard to find uh, people like that uh, Muhammad very hard indeed uh, they uh, definitely left a vacuum and you know those were the good old days moving on uh, Muhammad and we look at uh, world politics so we look at uh, Turkey coming into the equation and it seems as if uh, our good friend uh, Erdogan is uh, you know, wheeling and dealing in, um, in different facts, uh, f- facets. Uh, you know, he's allowing uh, the uh, Israelis to have uh, embassies in in, in Tur- Turkey, giving the Israeli, I think, uh, was it the foreign minister or the prime minister, uh, red carpet treatment. Uh, you know, how do you read uh, th- that type of leadership? And uh, then you find uh, that the Israelis are bombing uh, the Palestinians now at, uh, you know, just at will, like uh, with impunity. How do we react to this? How do we react to, especially when we looked at Turkey and many at, uh, at one stage were saying, ah, there's our leader. There's a leader that we are looking forward to. Your thoughts on that, uh, Mohammed? You know, leadership-wise, I would think uh, probably the likes of Mahathir represented, uh, you know, the, 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 the Muslims on a global stage far better than uh, what Turkey is. You know, the, the economy of Turkey is in a mess. Their currency is on a one-way down the slide. And, and I, I think if you speak to many people, they will tell you they're either going to Turkey or coming from Turkey and uh, citing how uh, so-called uh, value for money for South Africans. But uh, really, their, their currency is on a nosedive. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's strange that uh, it's such a strong country, it's such a resourceful country, resourceful in the sense that they have industries in, in almost every category. And uh, just to give you an idea, like in South Africa, uh, if you know D5, yes, owned by a Turkish company. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's surprising that uh, they, they can't get the economy right, that they've got to keep printing money and keep devaluing their currency. But uh, Erdogan, I don't, I don't have much faith in him. Simple as that. So people will tell you, right, uh, Advocate uh, Muhammad Umar, so who's your man in the Muslim world? Today, today, today it's a bit of a difficult question. Look, previously I would have said Mahathir, he's, he's, he's retired, he's uh, pretty much old or older. So uh, in, in, in the current, current climate, I, I, I can't think of, think of you know, a person that's dynamic and forceful. Yeah, it's a difficult uh, question indeed. Uh, but, you know, you talk about Turkey and, you know, the irony of the situation is uh, Turkey owes no one. It doesn't even owe the International Money, uh, Monetary Fund or the International Bank. It doesn't owe them a cent. And how is the, this is, you know, like we are sitting against our intelligence in saying that, that that country is financially having it difficult. There's some wheeling and de- I mean, there's something's happening around Someone's doing something, and we know who's doing it. I mean, we know how the economy I, of this one. I, I think, I think, I, I think you shouldn't be blaming others. Basically, it, it's it's how you run your. It, it's like you, how you run your house. If you spend more than you earn, you're obviously going to have problems. And and as a politician, if you want to be in power and you keep throwing money at uh, your supporters and your voters, then obviously there's going to be issues going forward. Well, well, I'm going to the uh, to the supermarket, Mohammed, and I'm paying uh, twenty rand a loaf uh, for bread, and I'm paying uh, uh, twenty five rand a liter for milk. Then, do I blame myself? 
think milk you're paying a bit too much. <laughs> I think at 28 cents. You're avoiding me, Muhammad. You once again, so you're avoiding my question. All right, inflation is part of life. How? And the uh, cost of living has jumped up. How? And uh, how? Well, that's 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 the way of the world. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think those people at Davos and uh, all that, hey, they, I, they'll tell you, Mohammed, welcome to the club. You are a man. Prices <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> increase. There's nothing you can do to stop it. Uh, businesses, you know, uh, businesses have uh, numerous costs. If you take electricity, if you take fuel, if you take uh, wages, security, all these things adds up. See, Mohammed, my point here is, there's surplus oil available, the surplus food available, but these are deliberately targeted by a certain group to create deliberate shortages. I mean, you look at the Ukrainian uh, uh, war, so-called war, was orchestrated in order to put uh, you know man under one world uh, disorder. And you can see all this is happening. But the reality of the situation is, you know, the ayat of the Quran says it so beautifully, Wallahu khayrul razikin, and I, Allah, I am the best of uh, providers. But he's been captured by a party called Hizbu Shaitan. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, Europe is going to be in for some interesting politics now because uh, the, the costs are rising. Electricity and energy costs have literally, uh, you know, uh, jumped up very high for the average person. The interest rates are going much higher in Europe. So cost of living is going to get very, very uh, let's say it's going to become much more higher and, and Europeans and Westerners are not accustomed to such high increases in such a short time. And I think in the next 6 to 12 months, it's going to be a very, very turbulent world, especially if we wait till winter to see what's, what's the reaction with Europe and the energy issues and crisis. So... Uh, you know, it's it's going to be it's going to be some some interesting times, and uh, the politicians in Europe will have to be working very very hard to get their voters, you know, to pacify their voters and to try and uh, keep the economy going. It's going to be tough times. Well, Mohammed predicts a, a tough time. Advocate Mohammed Umar says it's going to be tough. How do you react to this? The the 99% uh, is ruled by the one percenters. What's your reaction to that? Well, there, there, there's two ways to look at it. One is how, how would you allow the, the 1% to rule you? And two is the 1% of the world obviously is doing something really smart and really <laughs> to keep them on top <laughs> of the <laughs> Hey, you uh, Yes, it's unders, man. Yes, it's unders. <laughs> <laughs> Allahu Akbar. Try and, try and learn from the one percent too. I mean, if, if you take the company Apple, they've just launched their Apple. I think what is fourteen, <laughs> something like that. I mean, really, you know, they create a buzz over something which is not really significant, and the whole world jumps for it now. Yeah, the whole world's jumping so high, Muhammad. Yes, and exactly, and nobody's telling you to go buy the latest uh, gadget or device. <laughs> This man is hot, people. He's the hottest, hottest guest I ever had in my life, I tell you. You see, Mohammed, you're talking about those gadgets, and you said it 
you know, those gadgets, taking you away from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, taking you into the world. Everyone's got that gadget, looking at the gadget and texting each other, making stories with each other, you know, propaganda coming through media, you know, Malik al-Shabbat. I want to tell you, Malcolm X, Malcolm X said this. He said that the media is so powerful. It is so powerful that it can have you loving the oppressor and hating those that are oppressed. And, you know, the media is so powerful. You can have uh, people admiring those that are deluding them with meretricious beauty. And then my, I'll leave it at that, uh, Muhammad. <laughs> talking about that, I was just reading about the BlackBerry versus Apple scenario. And they said that when BlackBerry was just launched, it had a nickname called Crackberry. <laughs> because it was almost as if you are hooked on to it. So... Blackberry, hey? So that, that's exactly what your devices are today. And literally, device. You can see the word device. So it all depends on what you're up to. You know, you said it li- uh, like that. Vice. Device. And it's already... Device. Uh, device. Uh, well said there. Really enjoyed that. And as you spoke about the crackberry, you can uh, definitely identify with the uh, people being like addicted to crack and they all are addicted. Uh, addicted. To, I mean, look at that, that school where, you know, they uh, confiscated the cell phones from the kids, uh, the students. Get what, uh, what, uh, what they did, Mohammed. 300 phones. Was con- uh, they, 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 they burned the school. Yeah, they burned the school because they were addicted to their phones. Today, every teenager is walking with a, with, a de- uh, with a device or a phone in their hands. Yeah. So sometimes, and, and you know, sometimes when, when you get in, when you decide to do things, you've got to be very careful and you've got to weigh up the consequences. And, uh, you know, the question is to, to, to take everybody's uh, cell phones. I, I don't know, but uh, it's, it's, it's something that, that that I'm a bit wary about. But isn't that a distraction? Uh, I mean, the teachers teaching in class and uh, for you to have your phones, even at, at the workplace, I think there should be a, a policy where, you know, the phones uh, should not be allowed, uh, Muhammad. I think it's, it's, it's a big distraction and uh, you're not doing uh, justice to what you know, you, you're supposed to be doing. Uh, look, t- technically, and I think we all are guilty of this at some point we'll decide to look at our screen to see what emails or messages we've got while somebody else is talking. But it, it's a very rude and a, and, and a very inappropriate habit. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if it's okay, like yourself, you're self-employed and, uh, you know, no, you don't have a boss to answer to. But if you got a boss and he gives you uh, rules and regulations, and uh, with, uh, with this school, uh, this was part of the school's uh, protocol that uh, you shouldn't be bringing uh, phones to school. So uh, they had uh, blatantly... Uh, well, if it's, part, if it's part of the school's protocol, then obviously there's, uh, there's concern. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the school had all the rights to, to do that. But uh, youngsters of today, you know, it seems as if, you know what, if it's uh, our way or the highway, why is it so? Well, I, I, think, I think that's always the case with youngsters. And, and maybe when we were young, we were also just as rebellious. But you must understand another point is that it's the youngsters that will create the future as well. And, and uh, you, you've also got, you know, it, it's part of human nature where you've got to challenge the status quo. And, and, and it's most evident amongst youngsters. So it, 
it's it's part of life, and uh, you know sometimes you know you you've got to be careful what buttons you press. Then, if you look at these types of youngsters that are burning school, uh, that don't respect the elders, uh, that uh, don't, I mean, uh, go. Uh, you know, yeah. The, Look, uh, you know, we, we can argue in many ways about this, but, uh, uh, you know, burning schools and so on, yes, it's wrong. There, there's no justification to burn a school or burn property. But uh, in South African history and politics, burning is part and parcel of our our so-called resistance and struggle. So, th- th- yeah, I mean, that uh, it's, it, it falls under certain groups that do that, but not all do it. Whether it's groups or whether it's uh, individuals, uh, I, I wouldn't want to go down that road. But burning is burning is part of our part of our protest politics. If there's a roadblock somewhere, a protest, the guys will burn a few tires and so on. So that seems to be part of the course. Okay, from the burning bridges of uh, South Africa, let's go to London Bridge. Is London Bridge falling down? Falling down? And who's the new prime minister? Tell us, Advocate Mohammed. Yeah, uh, Advocate Mohammed. Yes, okay. Yeah, uh, I can hear you yeah, I was uh, talking about uh, London. Yeah, it London. seems as if uh, you can hear me, Mohammed. London. Yeah, they're having a new. Pri- yeah, uh, there'll be a new. Me. There'll be a new prime minister, and some are calling her Margaret, uh, Margaret Thatcher too. What's your thoughts? Uh, well, you know, there's, there's, uh, according to the Economist, they say that. Uh, as far as uh, the Prime Minister is concerned, there isn't much history to go back, uh, you know, as far as uh, a political career is concerned. But at the same time, as a politician, it's very good to have a clean record where there's no controversies. And, uh, her, you know, her plate is full. There's lots of challenges in the UK. The, uh, you know, the... And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be... T- She'll have to show tough leadership as well. Well, uh, many uh, are crying foul and they say, you know, there was an Indian standing there also. But, uh, you know, the racism has come uh, to the fore, Mohammed, and uh, that uh, you look at uh, Britain is more of a racist country, uh, then they, they will never change their colors and uh, they will never allow uh, non white to be the prime minister. What's your thoughts on that? Yes, sir, Mohammed, I was uh, making the point uh, that, uh, you know, many have uh, perceived uh, Britain to be a uh, racist country and uh, they say they will never have a non-white as the uh, prime minister or, you know, um, uh, to be there. And uh, Britain is uh, still very racist indeed. What's your thoughts on that? So, uh, you know, it's, uh, to, to, to give it the tag of uh, going to be of a difficult one. Uh, fine, you may not get to the top as, as being Prime Minister, but uh, I think Britain has given lots of people of colour, lots of opportunities, and many have done very, very well. And then we talk about Britain being the hub, the capital of the bankers, and uh, with everyone, uh, you know, who's who in the zoo is there in uh, Britain. I think uh, you told us on, on the last programme. Uh, but uh, we move on from uh, Britain. Let's go to Pakistan. And, you know, the uh, challenges that faces Imran Khan 
in a country that is devastated by floods and so forth. What is your take on Pakistan now, Mohammed? Well, well, it seems that they want to try and bring up some charges against uh, the former Prime Minister Imran Khan, who's got uh, uh, tremendous, uh, you know, uh, popular support, if I may say. And, uh, you know, they've had the issue of the floods, which was really a, a major tragedy. But uh, it, it, it's, it's going to be very difficult. You know, Pakistan, I can't see them getting out of their mess. That's, it's, it's sad, but that's the reality. Yeah, it's a sad story indeed. And uh, uh, the appointment of a new army chief and so forth. And uh, Imran Khan has spoken out against that. And Pakistan politics is basically the army. If you keep the army happy, you'll be in power. If you don't keep them happy, you're out. Those guys run the show. Yeah, absolutely. They run the show. And if you tackle the army's bosses, who happen to be the U.S., then you're in a bigger trouble. Mohammed? Exactly. That's what happened to... Absolutely. Yeah. Poor Imran Khan. So there's no way... You you don't think... You, you know, this... this What's your thoughts? Look, it, 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 it's a tough one. Uh, Pakistan, literally, uh, since independence, what, what have they really achieved or, or accomplished that, that you can shout, shout about? Nuclear bomb? So that's, you know, take, take, take a country like Malaysia. They've progressed tremendously and, and watched off Pakistan. So... Then, then you even got the other one, Bangladesh, which is also just as bad. So, you know, these, these countries haven't been really uh, delivering much. But they have the resources, they have the, the manpower, they have the brains. I mean, they say the, the, the Pakistani army is, you know, a very powerful force. The uh, Pakistani people are quite ingenious. And I know they sometimes they have... You know, some of the best pilots in the world and engineers and so forth. Uh, but uh, perhaps uh, those that are in a position of power are looting and taking the money out of the country and are not letting the people benefit from it. Would you agree with that? You know, it's always the case for third world countries where the, the richest people are sitting in some foreign country and, and, and you know, enjoying their riches and you know, the country can go down the tubes. It doesn't bother them. Which is uh, sad indeed. And, uh, you know, yeah, very, very sad. Well, as we come to the, you know, last quarter of our show, perhaps uh, um, uh, thoughts in your mind, uh, you know, something that you'd like to discuss uh, with us uh, before we end off, uh, Mohammed. Well, let's, let's say in, in terms of South African politics, uh, you know, uh, or, or, or the South African economy going forward, what, what, what are the highlights? Highlights, are, I think, probably interest rates are going to go higher. Uh, you know, your, your inflation, uh, petrol has dropped. I think uh, cost, cost pressures will reduce a bit, but uh, it's still going to be a tougher period. And uh, global politics, you've got to watch out what's going to happen with Russia and the energy situation in the West. Those are, those are basically the the, the important uh, items that uh, you'd have to see. And, and also that uh, you're going to get maybe some sort of civil unrest in, in, in the Western countries, uh, given the higher cost of living for people. 
And uh, unless unless the government is either going to cap energy prices or give people subsidies, like how they're giving in South Africa the grants, uh, Europe is going to be in for some tough times or tougher times. Well, as so, is... you know, those are the... So those are basically the issues to watch out for. Alhamdulillah. So you say put a uh, buckle up, people, tighten your yeah your belts, and inshallah. Don't 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 spend don't spend what what you don't need to spend. No, absolutely. Be thrifty. Be thrifty. Yeah, I had a friend. He had a company called Thrifty Dollar. I don't know if they're still around, but yeah, you need to be thrifty. Muhammad, absolutely brilliant to have you. Uh, you have a mashallah blessed evening ahead. Thank you, Inshallah, we'll talk to you soon. Uh, soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you. Yes, sir, people. Uh, Advocate Muhammad Umar there. To, uh, you know, he's talking to us while driving in the car. So, you know, now and then uh, uh, we, we had some break in uh, reception. Reason being, uh, perhaps the car was going under a bridge. And uh, lots of uh, powerful information coming through. Talking about uh, Malaysia, talking about Indonesia, uh, Brunei. And he talks about, you know, the population of these countries. There are 250 million Muslims there. And Alhamdulillah, talking about the halal industry, how powerful that is. Uh, because, yeah, the consumption of those are people. And then uh, a lot of uh, things in politics. And we know how uh, it uh, carries on. Uh, there's uh, orchestration and uh, many things are done. But Alhamdulillah, it's good to agree, sometimes to disagree. But uh, the facts stand out for itself. Haq, that is, truth will prevail and falsehood shall perish. And we know that, uh, you know, the eyes of the Quran is, Wallahu khayrul raziqeen. And Allah is the best of provi- providers. And He is the best of providers. And everything, you know, as soon as uh, mankind tries to capture and get up with the, you know these ideas of uh, uh, you know charging people for anything and everything and making life miserable for people that wasn't it our life here is to get to know our creator we've been created to uh, you know obey allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to obey rasul obey allah subhanahu wa ta'ala obey his messenger and to live in this world in such a manner that we get to know who our maker and creator is and alhamdulillah that when we go to the next world we make it go make so easy transition and inshallah allah gives us a success there also so alhamdulillah jazakallah khaira to all of you for tuning in and i must thank uh, Ducalo for brilliant engineering keep it locked on uh, yeah uh, next up uh, will be truthful news uh, but first uh, we'll go for the azan and inshallah the point, uh, program will continue